What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley, and on today's episode of the Forging Fury podcast, alongside my best friend, Michael Gray, we have a very special person in my life. This how, is actually, how special? He is the most special, I think. He made me. All right. This is my father, John Kilbride. Dad, what's going on? Hello. How are you, <laughs> The best intro ever, right? I'll give you my Australian g'day, mate. Oh, snap. That's a, Well, if you don't know, my dad actually lives in Melbourne, Australia. Where, what, what city are you in right now? Geelong. Geelong. Are you still? Are you uh, cheering for the Geelong footy team yet, or what? No. No. We are. We are Western Bulldogs. We're still the. We're still the Bulldogs. Always the Bulldogs. Okay. <laughs> that was. That was. That was part of our uh, prenup in our in our marriage. <laughs> um, so what we're talking about right now is Australian rules football. This is a good way to start off the episode. It's but, called um, footy. Yeah, Australian rules football or footy. That's what they show. Which is it. like rugby, basically. No, right? no, 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 no. So it's, it's like I'll let Dad. You explain it. Yeah. Uh, it is a sport that originated with no rules. <laughs> so uh, it's it's uh, bringing the ball forward uh, by either handballing it or kicking it. Uh, and kicking it between uh, two main posts or two subsequent posts on on each side, which you either get six points or just one point. So um, it's it's a quite interesting game. Um, we actually, growing up, uh, when I was about eight or nine, the Chicago News Channel uh, in on the cable uh, Time Warner used to show the Saturday night game. Uh, on Saturday afternoon because it it were a day ahead here in Australia, so it was a a a, 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 pre, a replay of the Saturday night game in Australia. And back in the late seventies, we didn't know anything about Australian rules, <laughs> but we we thought it was we thought it was like football wrestling. So <laughs> sounds that's like it. No, so that, they, like that's they, accurate though. Like when I visited yeah. my dad for the first time, we went to a game and I didn't know anything of this game. And literally someone was knocked unconscious and it didn't stop the game at all. <laughs> they just carted him off and the game stopped. Like there was no pause in the action. Like they're like, Oh, this guy's unconscious. Let's just keep going. So I could watch that because one of the things that drives me nuts about soccer is how bad people flop and mm. how there's all that drama. Yeah. I'm there's like, none no. of that. Oh, good. Do Aussies people are uh, tough. They don't mess around. Yeah. They're they, tough. They actually are coming up with a rule uh, because people are starting to flop like they did in the NBA. Mm. Uh, if guys act like too much of a pansy and fall down, then they will, they're going to find them or, or, uh, suspend them a game or two. Wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's a tough sport, uh, and, uh, no pads. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's they, quite they can a have like a head protection, right though. Like a cap if they want, right? Yeah, the, it's, some guys do wear soft gel helmets, mm. uh, like rugby helmets, but uh, probably about one percent of them, if that. Wow. Well, so you're anyway. in, you're in Australia, and it's we usually record on Saturday afternoons. It's three o'clock here. What time is it for you right now? It's eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Yeah, eight so o'clock you're on in the Sunday. future. You're in the future, Dad. How yeah. is it? How is yeah. it? Saturday was pretty good, so you know it was a good it was a good sunny day. So um, what's yeah. the, what's the temps like there now? Uh well. We're in Celsius here, so it's uh, <laughs> it's about eight degrees Celsius, which would be about uh, uh, 40, 40, 40 degrees. That's cold. Here in Phoenix, Dad, I've experienced the hottest pits of hell that one can imagine. 120, 118, like on average, like during most days of the week, it's 118 degrees. It's rough. Yes, definitely. And you're, you're in your winter, winter time now. That's what's weird now. It's like July would be winter yes. time there. 
we officially have, uh, I think, three more weeks of winter. Oh wow! Did the groundhog see a shadow or something? Uh, no, what? it wouldn't be a ground. It wouldn't be a groundhog <laughs> here. Probably It'd a be an echidna. Echidna, yeah. yeah or like a, <laughs> echidna is like a, a spiky, a spiky squirrel. Okay. Yeah, it has like literally looks like a porcupine and a squirrel had a baby. Or maybe echidna. it's like the Tasmanian devil didn't see his shadow. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, right. that, that's a real thing too, though. So we've loved know, getting to know Riley as the adult that he is. But one of the things I wanted to talk about <laughs> is what kind of a kid was Riley? So what I'd like you to do is think of one thing that you think was A, what made you the most proud of Riley as a kid? And B, what made you the most worried? Because I've got a 10-year-old <laughs> right now, and there's some things that I'm really worried about with him. So what, <laughs> what worried you and what, uh, what was something that made you proud back when he was uh, a little one? Oh, well, I think that uh, I'll go on the positive first. <laughs> Please. So, <laughs> that's always good to start positive. Uh, I, I always thought that growing up, the thing, the thing that always made me proud was, um, or there's a, there's a couple things, actually. Uh, he's, he always was a likable child. So he always got along with kids. He never, he never was in that clique of either making fun of kids or, or bullying or anything like that. He was just a likable bloke, you know, just real, real likable and, 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 and just got along and made sure everybody was, was, you know, togetherness. And, uh, you know, he also, when, when he would go over to other people's houses, like his friends and, or spend the night, we always got compliments about how well-mannered he was. So, uh, it's one thing the teacher's, your children to do it, it, but it's another thing for them to actually put it into practice. So, yeah, it's always, um, it's always great to hear from other people when you're not around the kid, how they behave. And <laughs> I, I can imagine that would be a great thing. Yeah, and, no, it, it is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, setting the example, but uh, I actually him actually putting it in action, which is, you know, I think both, both of my children were that way, my older children and, and my younger daughter now is, is pretty much like that too. I think the personalities are pretty, pretty equal as far as like i said being likable and and making sure that everybody was being looked after or or not being picked on the things that worried me <laughs> is here we go uh I, I i'm not sure how he survived uh but his his stomach uh is pretty much cast iron he, <laughs> he has he has consumed uh motor oil uh dog food and uh Copenhagen spit. So, oh man, uh, I, I'm I'm not sure. You know, uh, being a prior military and being in uh, uh, 75th Ranger Regiment, there's two types of soldiers. There's there's strong soldiers and there's uh, smart soldiers. We call them smart and strong rangers. And Riley's a strong ranger. <laughs> <laughs> when it com- when it comes to those things, uh, he never learned his lesson. He kept going back to 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 taking and ingesting things i'm still uh, so, eating weird stuff now dad so it would make you proud I, that, 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 that's what i said I, I i worry about him because i'm not sure how how it's gonna come out literally are you, are you aware that he eats the labels off of his vegetables now <laughs> he literally does that so you know, um, you'll be happy to know that he's still the the well-liked person that he was as a kid and what matters that, who you ask that's what makes him a great CrossFit coach, I think, is that everybody really likes who he is, and he does still eat some weird things, but he's trying to make it sound like it's healthy, so he, he encourages us to eat better, too. Yeah. So, something we really want to dive into, Dad, and 
and what we want to talk about, get some details on is, is kind of your journey in the military and where that started and kind of where it took you and along that line. So we, we talk a lot about mindset on this podcast and kind of like you had to have that super, super military mindset kind of growing up and going through the military. So kind of start with your story and where you started and where it took you. Uh, yeah, I, I probably around 14 when, when you start realizing that uh, adulthood is coming uh, around the corner and um, just realizing that uh, I wanted to uh, follow in my father's footsteps and my grandfather's footsteps and be in, in the army, particularly a paratrooper. Uh, I, little did I know that I'd end up being uh, an army ranger. Um, but all I wanted to do when I was 14 years old is jump out of airplanes like my father. So I had, I had it, uh, ingrained in my head, uh, for some reason, that's all I wanted to do and cared about. I wish I would have focused more on, on other things, uh, growing up as a, as a young, uh, teenager, but it really got, was fixated in my head and, and that's all I really cared about. So on about two months after, or yeah, about two months after my 18th birthday, uh, I signed signed up uh, in the military in 1988 and shipped off to basic training in, in August. Uh, my birthday's in April, and I shipped off in August 8th of 88. Where was your basic? At, at Fort Benning, Georgia, mm. um, in Harmony Church, which is probably the oldest barracks uh, on Fort Benning that <laughs> are no longer there, I believe. Uh, if you could imagine in the movies and they showed the old barracks, that would be what it would be. Open toilet bays, open showers, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely zero privacy. Um, it, it was, it was the, the way that it should be when you go to basic training. So, uh, I spent my basic training there, which was nine weeks in, uh, of, of basic. And then my qualification for, for, uh, an infantryman was another four weeks of training, and then I was shipped off to airborne school, which was another four weeks. And during during um, uh, my infantry training, I got orders to go to Korea, and I wasn't too thrilled about going to Korea. Uh, so a ranger during airborne school, uh, a ranger recruiter came by and asked us if we wanted to volunteer. <laughs> uh, to, become a, to become a ranger and uh i asked him would it get me out of going to korea and he said yes if you if you passed uh what they used to call rip which is the ranger indoctrination program basically is a is a um let's see how much you can ac accept and 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 get hazed for three weeks uh let's see if you're up to the task they have fun with you for about three weeks that's basically what it is and uh so i told him i'd stand on my head for three weeks if i had to get out of going to korea and i remember i remember that evening i was still in airborne school and i hadn't done my first jump yet and i called my dad you know, i think it was the first week of airborne school and i said this ranger recruiter came by and he said i could uh i could get out of going to korea if i volunteered to be a ranger and my dad said my father, God rest his soul, said, uh, are you crazy? You can't be a ranger. And I said, why? He says, those guys, those guys are effing crazy. <laughs> they, they, they eat snakes. That's what he told me over the phone. I said, well, <laughs> I, 
I volunteered. He said, what did I, the last thing I told you before you got on the bus to go to base the train, don't volunteer for anything. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't listen to him. So I, I happened to get through the, fortunate enough to get through the three weeks of training and, and, uh, was assigned to the second ranger battalion, 75th infantry in Fort Lewis, Washington. So that was in 19, December, 1988, where I started my official career. And, uh, where Riley was born uh, in Fort Fort Lewis, Washington, for all the two I weeks, there, I was there. I was there for four years and two months. And Riley was born probably about a month and a half before we left there and went to Savannah, Georgia, where I was assigned to the First Ranger Battalion, Seventy Fifth Infantry. Now, is this Washington, like DC, or State Washington State? Washington State. Washington State. state. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. So, Dad, when you first got into Second Bat. Like you, yeah. start, you started in Second Battalion, correct? I did, yes. Second yes. Ranger Battalion, Alpha, Alpha Company, uh, third, third platoon, third squad. So, when you first got into this particular group, was there a lot of like hazing or like what kind of rituals did they like bring you into the group with? Was it was it pretty crazy or something you can say on air? Oh uh, yeah, well, it, just not anything that people wouldn't talk about publicly. Uh, there's some things that probably don't need to be said, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we'll keep that between the, the, the fence posts is what we used to call it. Uh, mm. cause we, we had our own, we had our own, uh, locked compound within the military base. We had an extra layer of security that no one was allowed in mm. unless you were part of the unit. So, um, yeah, I mean, stuff like, uh, for the first, probably, you know, three, four months until you earn your right to be there because it is a volunteer unit. You volunteer to go there. They can volunteer you not to be there. So, uh, they can, they can tell you they don't like you and, and shoot you down to the regular army at any point. So after about, for, for about three months, you didn't, you, you didn't deserve to have a, uh, the, the traditional haircut at the time was a high and tight. So you just were not allowed to have a proper haircut. You just shaved your head every single week. You had to get a haircut every week and you weren't allowed to have a high and tight which is shaved on the side and a little a half inch on top. Yeah. So, so um, I want to circle back a little bit. Let's uh, let's go back and revisit Ranger School and tell us about that experience and how hard was it. And we're me and uh, me and Michael are really big into this guy named David Goggins right now. I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah. Regardless, I can send you some of his stuff. But tell us about Ranger School and kind of how that how that happened and how it went. Did it go? Was it fun? Oh uh, well, well, yeah. Well, it's, it was a load of fun. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Ranger schools, so Ranger school is just a qualification uh, of small unit tactics and leadership. Uh, it it uh, it has somewhat to do with the uh, the way of life of being a Ranger, but it's not the entirety of it. Uh, the the 75th Ranger Regiment is the actual uh, uh, unit uh, that's part of Special Operations Command. Uh, is 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 the way of life. Uh, we we say Ranger School is a school, but uh, but the scroll or the ra- uh, Ranger Regiment is the way of life. Um, I didn't go to Ranger School until about nine months after. So you have to earn your right to go to Ranger School. So uh, you have to put the, your packet in. So you have to you have to be part of the the unit, and the unit has to basically sponsor you to go to Ranger School. Put in put in a packet, and you have to be uh accepted to go so i was in second ranger battalion for about nine months before i went so um 
it, it actually probably was a lot. It, uh, it was enduring, but some of the most uh, enduring things happened to me prior to going to, to ranger school. So uh, because they prepare you for ranger school and they prepare you to be obviously an effective combat operator. Uh, so, um, you know, nine months of, of being uh, brainwashed and built back up, ranger school was pretty was a pretty easy um i guess uh exercise as far as a mental and physical anguish it just was you know long it's uh, when i went through it it was 72 days um and it was one meal a day basically about four thousand calories is what you got a day (laughs) and uh it if that, if you ate that, I mean, you know, if you there was, if you ate everything inside your meal, you would get about about four thousand calories if that, and you're burning, you're per- probably burning about, you know, anywhere between six and ten thousand calories a day. What kind of physical tasks do they have you doing? Oh, uh, you you basically you you you'd be walking, you you swimming, um, mountain climbing, I mean, you name it. Yeah, so pretty pretty physically challenging or like more mentally challenging. Don't they keep you up a long time? You don't sleep? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you you work on you work on probably 2 hours of sleep a day if that. Sometimes you don't get any. You know, if it depends on how squared away you are. Mm. So, if you don't do well, if you don't do well in your tasks, you basically don't get any sleep. So, uh, how do be, how do they help you pick what snakes to eat and what snakes have you eaten <laughs> that are your favorites? Oh, the, what it's 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 a weird thing in ranger school because you know they they want to put you in an environment where it's supposed to be actual conditions, but then they give you restrictions on what you can and can't eat. So that's kind of confusing because if you're in a real world environment and there's berries on the ground, they're edible berries, or there's a rabbit, or there's whatever, you're going to eat it. So, uh, but you're not allowed to because it's part of the condition. Of they want to starve you, they want to give you lack of sleep, they want to disorient you to see how you're going to react. It's the worst of the conditions that you possibly can be in, and how are you going to react to to making decisions as as a small unit leader that will have an impact on not only yourself but your the soldiers that you're leading. So that that's the whole point of the school. So it's the temptation is there. But you're not allowed to. So you immediately will get uh, kicked out of the course if you get caught eating things that are forbidden. Notice you say get caught. That's right. If you get caught. caught. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So let's talk about your last test of ranger school. So you're finishing up ranger school. Like what is the final test that they take you through to like say like you pass, you fail, get in, get out? Oh, well, every phase, there's four, there were four phases when I went through. So you have, you have the city phase, which we call urban terrain warfare. You have the mountain uh, terrain, which is in Georgia on the Tennessee Valley Divide, uh, up in Appalachian Mountains. Um, Then you have uh, the swamp phase, which is in Florida on the Panhandle. Uh, um, And then you have desert phase, which is the last phase, which was out in Dugway, Utah, when I out y'all, y'all guys' way. I grew up in Salt Lake City, so I, I'm familiar with Dugway. It's not far from where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 where they do the. It's where they Dugway, Utah is where they do they or they used to 
do the nuclear, biological, and chemical testing uh, for for the Department of Defense. So yes. uh, they they have a the, the the rumor is that they have a building that goes down uh, twenty stories into the ground. So, but you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. That's just here. That's just here. Classified information, it, Dad. One one level up and thirty floors down. Um, that's always been the the hearsay. It's never been proven. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. Um, so you know, basically the 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 I guess the the climax of Ranger School is to do an actual live fire training mission under these severe conditions where you're not getting any sleep, any any food, and then actually use live bullets. And do a live fire exercise uh, to to uh, uh, to to an assault uh, a, a a a a bad guy compound. So that the whole time uh, you're leading up to this, uh, and then you're actually using throwing grenades. Every you, everything you get to use with these conditions to make sure that you're you've been you know trained properly. So under the harshest and most severe conditions. Um, I went to ranger school during the winter. So, I mean, during the summer, so it was hot. Uh, it was probably like, like you guys says, a hundred, hundred, 110, 115 degrees in the day and 80 at, at night, 75, 80 at night. You probably loaded down with a lot of stuff though, too, when you're doing all that walking. Yeah. Well, I mean, the swing of 40 degrees is, it almost feels like it's about 35 degrees. Hmm. So it's, um, Hot, then cold, hot, then cold, no sleep, no food, right? So It's funny that you bring up snakes, and I know that you have a good, uh, a good story about snakes, about you in the military. How about, well, let's, let's, let's visit that story. <laughs> uh, you have to bring that up, do you? Oh, it's a good story. It's one of my favorites, actually. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm allergic to antivenom, and I found out the hard way. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I, we were training. This is, this is a few years down the road. Uh, and was I, I born we when training. this happened? Was I born? I, I don't believe so. Okay, cool, cool. So if this if this story, I would have not been you know here if this ha- didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I was in um, White Sands Missile Range, New Mexico, uh, doing some training, uh, and me and a rattlesnake um, were sharing the same spatial area. <laughs> At about at about three o'clock in the morning, and I put my hand in front of uh, this rattlesnake's face. Uh, little did I know that it was it was uh, his space before it was mine, <laughs> and uh, he bit me in my hand. So I uh, I immediately realized what happened because I I think I scared him as much as he scared me, and he he actually bit me and then rattled. So, uh, it, it happened so fast. Um, but I, but I heard the rattle and I felt the bump, but I didn't realize where I'd actually been bit because it happened so fast. Well, I turned around and started running like a pansy <laughs> and I think I ran over three of my soldiers trying to get out of this hole, uh, that we were in. And, uh, I finally, I finally got tackled down by uh, one, one, one of the other, uh, people in my squad and calmed me down. And we basically went from a tactical exercise, uh, to everybody had their flashlights out and it was now 
an emergency, uh, ad- administrative emergency. And uh, during my during my panic, I happened to hit myself in the forehead with my weapon, and so I had blood running down the front of my face. <laughs> So when the first white lens flashlight came out with a with a regular lens flashlight, they pointed it at me, and I had blood running down my my forehead and down my nose. And all of a sudden, everyone thought I got bit in the face because I was that, I literally was that close to the snake. Um, so uh, if it wasn't for the pain that I started to feel in my hand, uh, in my in my thumb, the inner part of my thumb, I would have believed them. But after about 30 seconds of the snake biting me it felt like uh the heat of a blowtorch was on my skin uh and uh it hurt so uh (laughs) and it started to swell immediately so unfortunately i didn't get the would have been a great even greater story if i would have been able to kill the snake and use him for a for a belt or a a hat (laughs) band or something yeah but uh they did the measure. They did the measurements between his uh, two two um, fang uh, 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 bite marks on my skin, and the estimation was he's about five and a half to six and a half foot. Oh, <laughs> wow, that's not a baby snake. That's a lot of venom. So, which was actually was a blessing uh, being bit by a snake that big because after you get bit by a snake, you start to do research and realize. Uh, uh, more about uh, about ven- venomous snakes, especially when you find out that you're allergic to antivenom. <laughs> um, a, a larger adult snake uh, reserves their venom only to because it takes them a lot longer to resup- uh, re- re- uh, resupply it or recreate it, whereas a younger one can recreate venom sacks and in days it takes an adult weeks so normally an adult snake will only use enough to stun their prey and and then they would constrict and kill it and then eat it they they actually don't kill the prey with venom they kill the prey by constriction i did not know rattlesnakes did that that's See, new information weird, i was today old when weird I learned animal that. facts run in the family i know wow yeah, cool. so so tell tell us about your anti-venom uh reaction how so did, yeah how so did that go I, down? so they they give you they give you a a shot underneath the 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 first layer of your skin called horse serum which is has coagulants in it that are parallel to the venom the anti-venom uh, and if you react to it, what happens is you'll get a little goosebump on the top of your skin, uh, uh, like you have a BB on uh, underneath your skin. Well, I had one of those shots at uh, in the field. I did not react to it, <laughs> so they they finally get me to a hospital, which this is typical military. So. I was an hour and a half away from a hospital. It took them four hours to get me there. <laughs> uh, so uh, I had the, I had impeccable timing as when the actual helicopters for the evac uh, plan were 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 to be used in case of emergency. That just so happens when I got bit, they were going to resupply for f- <laughs> fuel. So they were going to refuel 
and they had to go and refuel before they could come and get me. So by the time that all happened, <laughs> I was four hours later and my hand looked like a, uh, a pot roast. Uh, it was, unre- <laughs> it was unrecognizable. It just looked like a big, big blob. Uh, had wow. no knuckles, no, no joints. Uh, and, uh, I got to the hospital and they gave me another shot of the horse serum, did not react to that. Uh, so, I, so they, they put an IV in me and they shot me with, uh, the anti-venom and I felt it go in my, uh, vein and creep along to about where my shoulder was. Uh, and then all of a sudden it raced to my heart and it grabbed my heart and just shook it like you sh- shake, uh, a rag doll. It just took me like total control. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was trying to kill, it was trying to kill me instead of the venom. So that's what happens when you have an adverse reaction. It thinks that you're the enemy and not the venom itself. So I, uh, I lost control of my bodily functions, uh, and started to go into a little bit of a respiratory failure. Uh, they had to give me a sh- some, a couple of uh, different types of medicines, and I don't remember what they were. It would have been some sort of Benadryl and uh, <laughs> epinephrine and, and and what have you. To to, but I don't remember what happened because I I you were dead. I I was I was in a coma for about ten hours. So so, so it, it's safe to say that these kilbrides are hard to kill. Yeah, we're like the we're like the plague. <laughs> that's that's probably one of my favorite stories to ever hear you tell dad I've, I've probably heard it to 20 times i still like hearing it yeah well I, me being me being uh prior to the incident me being absolutely petrified of snakes and out of 117 guys out out in the field i managed to be the only one that gets bit uh what's you know what's the what's the likelihood um so when we when we were when we were uh, getting ready for the mission that we were going out on, the the snakes were everywhere, and we had these guys that were going and picking them up and skinning, killing them and skinning them, hiding, you know, getting their hide, and you know, I would be petrified. I saw one, I would literally pee a little, you know. So, out of all the people in the uh, hundred and 15, 18 guys that went out, I'm the only one that gets bit. Uh, you know, that's, it's, what are the odds? Wow. Had to be you. That's awful. Right. If it can, it will happen. So as a, as, as a, 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 a punishment, I guess, or dead, I guess uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still haven't learned my lesson. I've managed to find myself living of nine of the top 10 most venomous snakes <laughs> in the world. In so, Australia, yeah, he, he keeps doing it to yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. So as if the odds weren't weren't uh, you know good good enough for the snakes, I've I've upped the ante, and now I live in a, a country <laughs> that has the most venomous population of of ant creatures in the world. Wow, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about next. Was uh, you've lived here in the states? You've lived in Australia for how many years now? Uh, nine and a half. Nine Almost and a half. Ten years. What, uh, what's different yeah. about there? What's, give me something that's good about being in Australia versus being here and something that drives you nuts where you're like, man, I, I wish it was back the way it was in the U.S. What, what do you have story-wise that way? Um, yeah, the one, the one thing that's, that's really good about Australia 
and you know, at least the, the almost the ten years I've been here, it hasn't changed much. Is your your true blue Aussies, your uh, you know, people people that are that are from here, and and for the most part, the people that even migrate, like myself here, always barrack or root for um, the the mom and pop or the underdog. So we still have we still have pizza uh, local pizza shops. We have local bread shops, butchers. We have we 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 still have uh, strip you know strip malls or or you know little 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 places that have grocery stores and and uh, places to go get food and supplies that are owned by someone in the local community. We still have franchises, but not as many as the U.S. But the Aussie spirit is that you always, you always support local. You always support the underdog. You want to see someone that you know, that you go to the pub with, that you go and and your kids play footy together, or they they run track together. Uh, you want them to succeed. You don't want the, the big corporate the people to come in and inf- infiltrate your your environment. Uh, it's a sense of it's not it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say it's. Um, patriotism or nationalism it's 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 i think it's more a self-preservation uh you know they've all they've always had the rough end of the stick and the short end of the stick you know how how australia has been was formed allegedly you know on two ships of uh of of criminals that 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 england didn't want to deal with that they shipped them off and moved them to to australia so um uh, yeah, it's just that attitude and chip on their shoulder uh, that that gives them that that grittiness and just um, the fortitude. You know, it's just a different men- mentality. And can I uh, add something that I really loved about Australia when I was there? The money, yeah. their money, their money is all different colors, all different sizes, oh, yeah. and it it yeah. can get wet and it's still okay. So you can reach in your pocket and feel the money in your pocket and know how much you have. They're not all the same sizes. They're not all the same colors, and they don't go well with water. Like the money system over there is so good. They have coins that are like two dollar coins, one dollar coins. Like they don't even mess with dollar bills. Like their 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 money system is the best that I've ever experienced. That's cool. We don't have we don't have pennies. Yeah, no pennies. They don't so, waste their time with pennies. So we round we round we round up. So um, so it, it just works itself out. Uh, and it's, it is, it is something of a sight to see where you can pull money out of your pocket and look at it by the color without looking at the numbers and know exactly what, what, what you have. And then you can put your hand in your pocket full of change and literally count what you have by feeling it because they're different shapes and sizes and types of, uh, uh, shapes. So I'll speak for both of us where we really love America, but we can get that shit tighter like that. We need to do- adopt that system. Yeah. We got, we have a color stripe in our hundred dollar bill now, right? Yeah. That's supposed That's to be it. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the one, the one thing I don't like is being asked all the time what's going on in America. Mm. You're the because, new system, dude. You're the, you're the CNN of America and Australia. But, but why? Yeah. Well, why, why, why are you, I'm not there. I don't know. I live here. <laughs> I'm Australian citizen. I, I live in this country. Don't ask me what's going on over there. I could care less, uh, but I still get, I, I still get it. They, and, and, and people ask the question like, it's my fault. 
of whatever's going right or wrong over there, right? <laughs> like I've been here for 10 years now, give up. Like I'm the reason why Trump's president, right? <laughs> I'm the I'm the I'm the only reason why he's president. So you know, uh, regardless of my political view, uh, it, when people talk to you, they auto- automatically assume that you're pro-Trump, and you and you, or, or when they when they ask a question, they expect a certain type of answer, and you don't give it to them. That's just the one thing that that displeases me the most. That being associated as American, and I hate to say this, but a lot of people still think of us as as the ugly American. Mm. So it's gotten better over the years, but it's still the same thing as, you know, uh, people ask me, and, and it just real it's really irritating. I don't care. I live here, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I, I still appreciate my homeland, and I always will be uh, American, and I love my country, but I live here and I pay my taxes here. I I live in the local community. My my youngest daughter goes to school here. My wife's Australian. What what else do you want me to do? Right. You know. I mean, we want you to get that Aussie tattoo right on your chest, and that that'll make them happy enough. Oh, I, well, it's it's funny. It's because people ask me now, "Where are you from?" And I say Geelong, and they go, "No, where are you really from?" <laughs> I say, "What does it matter? I live in Geelong. I'm here. I'm from here." Yeah. Right. <laughs> and what me, me and Michael were talking a little bit earlier of the kind of the political differences here in America than in Australia. Yeah, I, I love that the uh, the Liberal Party of Australia is actually the Conservative Party of Australia, which is so <laughs> weird to me to, to know that it is. It's the it opposite. Is, yes, yes, it's it's bizarro world because when we talk about liberals, we have a different form of an opinion. <laughs> when yeah. they talk about when we, they talk about liberals here. It's a totally different form of opinion. So I remember yeah. like when I lived there that they like they'll just uproot a president whenever they feel like there's like, ah, oh, we've had enough of you. We're yep. we're ready to get another president. It, like is that how that the really prim- happens? The prime minister, yes. Prime minister, uh, sorry. Yeah, prime minister. so the prime minister's uh, Julia is Gillard. Just a dele- yeah, she was there when I was there. Oh yeah. He's a delegate elect of, of the party, so the party can switch uh, underwear anytime they want to. <laughs> and one of the things I love, and I kind of wish we had it here, is how the parliamentary process works. It's a little bit like England, where you can just yell back and forth at each other, and <laughs> it, it gets a little contentious down on the floor. I don't know. I don't know if they call it the floor, but uh, you know, I think our Congress needs to get a little bit of that going. Uh, well, if you ever want to entertain yourself, have about three beers and watch the British Parliament. <laughs> I'll bet it I is bet absolute, crazy. And it absolutely a half an hour worth of entertainment. That uh, that you probably wouldn't wouldn't be able to get that much enjoyment out of going uh, out or or to a movie. It is absolutely pure entertainment. Yeah, but the beers are necessary to make it just <laughs> that entertaining. Well, it makes you understand their 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 accents a little bit better. One more thing that we need to touch on Australia before we move on is the difference in alcohol content in some of their beers. I learned real quick there's a difference between Australian beer and American beer. The, okay. the alcohol alcohol content is way higher. Those dudes can drink all day, like they're tanks. Light beer, light beer here is light in calorie, not light in alcohol. Okay. So what we call what we call a light beer, as far as light alcohol, is called mid strength. So there's mid strength beer, which is probably three and a half to four percent in beer, and then full strength is always six percent. So <laughs> compared to Coors Light which is probably three. Mm, so it's like almost drinking two beers to one when you drink an yeah, Australian it is. beer. Well, it's, it, is, 
it is almost it's one and a half in a little bit per per yeah per i learned that the hard way when i was out there visiting dad (laughs) um pops we talked a lot about your military career and kind of how that shaped you as a human how did that military background kind of put you in the direction of what you're doing now so what like kind of tell everyone how that uh, military background shifted your direction after you got out oh well i i i I guess uh, well over the years i spent 12 years in the military and got out on a on a, a medical separation because of uh, of some injuries to my my left knee, uh, but it was a blessing in disguise. Just happened to be in the right place at the right time, uh, as as I had an injury and uh, recovering from it. Um, the The world of computers came and it, it evolved during that time frame, and uh, I didn't. Vol- this is one thing I never volunteered for. Uh, but uh, as as I was healing up from an injury, uh, my battalion commander looked at me and said I was going to be the new computer guy uh, because they were com- the the army was investing in computers, and I said no, sir, I don't think so. Mm, risky investment, and, don't you think? In computers. And he said, and he said, and he said, you see this thing on my collar? This this is not a democracy, Sergeant Kilbride. This 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 leaf, which is the light colonel. He was a battalion commander. Allows me to tell you what to do. <laughs> so, so uh, un- unfortunately, but fortunately, uh, it. Next thing I knew, it was probably a month later. I was in the first ever computer training course in the United States Army in Fort Gordon, Georgia, and I learned a skill because uh, uh, because I was injured, and it was fortunate for me because I, uh, getting out of the military. At at that point, I wasn't sure if I was going to get out of the military or not. Uh, but at that point, if I would have gotten out, I would have had not many skills that were applicable to everyday life. I had choices of being a police officer, which they probably wouldn't take me if I had a if I had a, a medical uh, condition from my from my injuries. Uh, I could be a security guard, a you know security not security like mall cop, but actual security. Or I could go and be a mercenary. Uh, so those were my choices. So um, fortunately for me, I, I earned uh, a skill and learned a skill that allowed me to to excel in the. Uh, and look at the end of the day, it's something that I like to do because it's about fixing something, right? And troubleshooting. It's no different than being a, a mechanic. Or, or or being a plumber or being an electrician. You have a problem. It's put in front of you. You have several avenues. You have to choose one and ultimately have to resolve the problem. So when, regardless of whether it's wires, pipes, engine parts, computer parts, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, you, you, you're fixing something for it to work again. So I, I, got, I got a skill that, that I could actually utilize. Uh, and and the the combination of me having a skill and then me having leadership traits and and actual management experience of twelve years of military. So when I so when I got out of the military, the natural the natural fit for me and what I leaned to was to always volunteer and always want and desire to be in a leadership position, which most people in the computer industry shy away from. Mm. 
they just want to do their job and go home. Uh, so it was a clear path for me to not only excel in the environment, but also excel in the things that I really like to do, which is managing people. Uh, so that's, that's getting out of the military was probably, uh, the path that I had was the easiest path to leadership because no one really wanted, wants to be the leader. Mm. So, um, so, you know, the last 15, 20 years of my life have been shaped towards not only a technical perspective, but, but also still managing people. So it's been really rewarding. And I owe that both, both of those skills, uh, to, to the military. So it's, it, I'm very fortunate. Uh, a lot of guys aren't that fortunate. So another thing we want to bring to the light here is we have a lot of uh, parents that listen to this and you have, uh, you have two children with, with my mother, uh, Jordan, that maybe listens to podcasts. I don't know, but, and then myself, but now I have a younger sister named Finley. So you, you had a big kind of transition time and some time in between children. Like, tell me the differences like of, of, you know, fathering me and Jordan to now fathering Finley. Has it been a wild ride or has a lot of things changed? Like, tell me about that. Oh, I have the mental stability, but I don't have the physical capacity <laughs> and, and endurance. Like, you you know, I had, uh, well, I didn't have it. Your mother, your mother had you guys, but I had, you know, I had something to do with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we had you guys at, you know, very young age, not, you know, 19 and, 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 and 21, uh, I just turned 21 when you were born. So, um, so, you know, it, we were very young. Um, and, um, so you don't know what you don't know. So when you're that young, <laughs> we were, we, we were still babies ourselves. So, mm. you know, uh, now that you've experienced life and have a child when you're 40, you know, the pitfalls. So it, it's, it's a little different approach, Right. And I've been accused now of being somewhat of a helicopter dad and, <laughs> and, and, and overprotecting Finley where, you know, obviously we'll go back to the story about 30 minutes ago is where how and how in the hell as a good parent that we allowed you to drink motor oil. I have never asked <laughs> that, right? So that's a, that's a little bit of a parental response. You've come a long well. way, dad. You've come a long way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not that I didn't care, but like I said, you just, it's being, it's being ignorant or naive, uh, mm. when you're that young, it's not, it's not that you're stupid. You, you, you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So sometimes what you do know can prevent you in all forms of life. Uh, w w once you know things, sometimes those things, those can be inhibitors to, to actually having a successful outcome because the, the fear of, of knowing what can happen when you don't know, when you're, when you're just on, you know, uh, pure adrenaline and, 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 and lack of knowledge, uh, that, that goes a long way sometimes. Mm. I think we turned out pretty good. Jordan, me and Jordan. Yeah. I would say that you, you, know, <laughs> you did a good job for not knowing what you didn't know. So you think about all, you think about all the discoveries in the world over time, majority of that was done off of not knowing mm. right so they had to take a fundamental they had to make a fundamental decision to do something that hasn't been done before and know what the what the outcome was going to be so i mean so once you know what the out 
outcome could possibly be, you have a natural resistance not to want to do it. And it's definitely, apl- it's definitely applicable in you guys' world where you have older customers, I'm sure, that know how, what it feels like to be sore and to have injuries and, and to not give 100% because they know the outcome's what's going to be the next day or the next two days afterwards, whereas you have someone that's 20, you know, uh, five where they don't know any better and they'll just go at it full fledged. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have a hand in there and know, know better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes you do know better. Mm. Well, you're actually, you've actually evolved even to a higher level. Not only are you like a, an, I would say older dad, but now you're a younger grandpa. I am. I am. Um, and thankful, and thankfully, Jordan didn't have Jude, Jude when 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 we had Jordan. Yeah, because I would I would have been thirty eight as a grandfather, not forty eight. Yes, I mean so, I feel like like I'm twenty seven now, Dad, and the fact that you and Mom had me and Jordan nineteen and twenty one, like I would rip my eyebrows out one at a time if I had a child right now. To be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, in the military, there wasn't much else to do. Well, didn't you get extra coin for having kids in that day? Uh. No, you didn't. Oh, okay. You didn't get extra coin, but you know, I mean, you you didn't have a lot of money to go out and do things socially, yeah. right? Yeah, I remember so, playing in boxes as a baby. You just gave us like me and Jordan some like big fridge boxes. We thought we hit the lotto, dude. dude kids still love boxes when, better, better when than you, the toy. I, when your mother and I were first married uh, and living up in Washington, the highlight for a weekend was to scrounge enough change in the couch or in the car to go to. Uh, rent a movie for a dollar <laughs> and get a two liter uh coke Woo, from party animals that that was if you had if you had that yeah you, it's prime time times are tough times are tough back <laughs> in the day so, you know back in the they used to rent movies uh, movies for a dollar vhs by the way oh not dvd so dad <laughs> we, we usually like to end these i gotta do this one okay i gotta do this okay all right all right well <laughs> Before, before we do the ending real quick, I, I just got to tell you that one of the things I noticed about Riley that talking to you, I know you would appreciate. Number one, the guy is the most punctual person <laughs> in America. Like he, he lives and dies by the, you know, if I'm late, it's saying that my time is more important than your time. And I'm sure that's probably something you've helped instill in him. Uh, that act, actually is an attribute from my mother, his grandmother. Nice. That we were taught, we were taught and in, ingrained into us as children and uh, uh, as his grand, as being a grandchild, uh, he, he taught, he was taught that very young where I'd rather be five. I'd rather be 10 minutes early than one minute late. Yes. He's still, he still got that in spades. So that's definitely <laughs> something. That- I'm this, I'm the same way now. Uh, I, 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 I do not believe in sh- showing someone the disrespect of using their time for its advantage my time. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, and people don't, the, people don't think of it that way, but that is what's kind you of happening. You hear the sternness in his voice now. Yeah, like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So uh, one of the ways we usually end this episode, and Riley usually wraps it up, is we ask for the, the guests to just give us some words of wisdom, some final closing thoughts, but I'm going to do it a little bit differently because you and Riley, you know, you, you're his dad, he's your son. <laughs> Rather than just give some final thoughts, we just want to peek into you talking to your son to be like, hey, as you grow past 27, you're going to 28, 29, 30, and beyond. What does Riley need to know to, to live his next part of his life successfully from father to son? I can tell you that 
the next five years of your life will be the best five years of your life mm-hmm. because you'll have a combination of two things. You'll still have the piss and vinegar to want to go out and do things, but you, then you're going to have the knowledge of knowing how to do them. So your 27 to 32 will be the best years of your life because you are right on the middle of, of the uh, pendulum. So you, you can see both sides of the swing. I would say when you get to your pinnacle, which you're not there yet, but when you get to your pinnacle, remember that will be the best time to find the best person that you can find to be with you the rest of your life because your choices are going to be limited as you come down the mountain. So make yourself the best person that you can and find the best person that you can find to share the rest of your life with if you choose. Mm-hmm. As you come down the side of the mountain, you're you're going downhill and uh, you're less you're less uh, attractive sometimes. Now you're calling me <laughs> ugly, Dad. What are you doing here? No, no. Mr. Kilbride, I'm, am I going to get uglier? I'm 42, I'm so you're hurting my physical, feelings. I'm talking about the whole package. Mm. There's, there's, there's things that happen through life that make you, make you uh, not as, as the full package as you get older. Do you like gray hair? All of the above, yes. <laughs> Everything, dude, my, all of it. I don't know if, well, I've like, my dad's a silver fox, so it's it's just a matter of time before these grays start popping through this this lion's mane. Let's do that. I, I at least I at least I have hair still. Yes, we're we're uh, gonna be haired haired men, but we will be gray than than not there. Yes, and I'm not vain enough to to, to dye it. So yeah. we're silver foxes, baby. Well, I love that advice. I think that's great advice, and you you came up with that quick. It's almost like you had that ready to go, and I didn't uh, give that to you ahead of time. No. So way to way to no. operate quickly. It, it's only. Because I've lived it. Mm, yeah. Remember, remember, I said there's smart rangers and strong rangers. Yeah. Most most strong rangers have have lived through that. And <laughs> I categor I categorize myself as a strong ranger. Oh. Yeah. So you learned a lot along the way. Yes. Mm. Well, Dad, thank you. It's it's been great. I hope a lot of people take some stuff from this episode. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on, I, especially being in Australia and having to get up early to do this. We appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, I get up at six thirty every day. So <laughs> on I time. Get, I should have known. I'm still, yeah. I'm still, I'm still a creature of my habits. So. Yes. Well, I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. <laughs>